Uh, Kate and I moved to Cheney in 2005, which was, it's almost 18 years now. It's kind of crazy to think that it's been 18 years and that we've been here this long. Uh, when we moved here, we moved into a small little condo uh, down the street here, down 5th, and then about three or four months later, we found our first home, which was over on the other side of town on Ridgeview, and it was a great house. We loved it. We, we moved in there. It was a four-level, so had really cool stuff, great backyard, big garage, yeah, like lots of things, and um, we moved in, and right away, kind of noticed the lady across the street had a for sale sign too, so she was kind of moving, and we moved in, and she moved out, and a new family moved in there, and um, as they were moving in, they had two girls, and, um, and you know, mom and dad, and just watching the guy move stuff in the garage, and I'm thinking, I wonder if this is going to be a guy I can relate to that, I, that I'll like, you know, or that, that I can be friends with, and I just kept watching him load tools in his garage. I like, I think I like this guy. Just keeps loading tools in his garage. And so after a couple of weeks of letting him get settled, you know, and we'd helped him out with little things here and there. And um, I finally went over in the garage. And at this point, Daryl is his name. Daryl had the entire garage all set up and there are tools everywhere. And I'm like, I'm going to like this guy. I know it. I'm going to like this guy. There's tools everywhere. He liked football, so he had his football posters everywhere. So he had Seahawks posters all over. And yeah, I obviously questioned his mentality, his mental capacity a little bit at that point. But then on the other wall, I saw fishing poles. So I was like, oh, okay, he does have a brain. And so I was, I was just getting excited. And, you know, then, then um, uh, Daryl and I just, you know, as time goes by, you start to get to know somebody that lives near you more. And uh, I had this, I had this, at this time, this is like 18 years ago, I had this, this old boat and this old piece of junk, old outboard motor. Like, I think it might have been the first outboard motor made. And um, always hard to start, just, just really a pain. And so I was always out there working on it and stuff and trying to get it working. And one day, um, I must have been pulling on, I must have pulled on the cord a hundred times and nothing, you know. Daryl comes over and he says, hey, I'm a small engine mechanic. Would you like me to help you with your motor? And I'm like, that'd be awesome. And sure enough, 10 minutes later, he's got the thing running like a champ. So I'm like, oh, this is great. I got a guy across the street that knows how to fix small engines thank you, Jesus, this is so good. And so I'm like, oh, this is, this is just great. And then the more I got to know Daryl, I walk over one day, knock on the door. He's got his entire kitchen torn apart. He's redoing his cupboards. He's putting new tile on the floor, new, new countertops, new everything. And I'm like, wow, Daryl, you know how to do tile? Oh yeah, I can do tile and countertops. Yeah. And you're going to make new cabinets? Ah, yeah, it's, it's easy. Oh, oh, great. He knows how to do stuff like that. And about a couple months later, I'm working on an electrical project at my house. And um, he saw me doing stuff in the garage, probably pulling wires around and comes over. And, hey, you want me to help you with that? Oh, you know how to do electricity? Oh, yeah, I can do electricity. The dude knows how to do electricity, too. So... You know, I'll work on that. And then later, Kate and I are redoing our bathroom in the basement. And I'm like, oh, man, I think I'm going to need to hire a plumber. I'm talking to Daryl. And he's like, oh, I know how to sweat pipe. You know how to sweat pipe, too? 
Yeah, I mean, it was crazy, just on and on, everything. And then Daryl's building a new deck and a new fence. And I'm like, what does this guy not know how to do? One day he pulled out a dartboard and puts his dartboard up in the garage. And I'm like, ooh, a sporting event. I'm good at that, I'll bet. I walk over, hey, Daryl, want to play darts? He's like, oh, yeah, that'll be great. I'm thinking this might be one thing I know how to do better than Daryl. I think Daryl was a professional dart player. They're like bullseye every time. I'm like, what in the, who are you? Did God move across the street from me? Here's what I loved about Daryl. Just the more I got to know him, the more I found out he knew. He just knew everything about life. He knew how to do everything. It was so much fun to have him live across the street. This morning, we're going to start a mini-series called God is dot, dot, dot. And this morning, I'm going to talk about how God is omniscient. And omniscience means that you're all-knowing. And that kind of reminds me of Daryl. Uh, he, he just knew everything. But here's what's great. Nobody likes to know it all, right? We don't like the guy that broadcasts that he knows it all. And then he's telling you he knows it all. And that he's arrogant about the fact that he knew it all. I never knew this stuff about Daryl because he would never tell me. He'd never broadcast it. It would just come up randomly and then I'd find out, oh, here's something else that Daryl knows. God's kind of like that. He's like a friend that knows everything about you, everything about the world, yet he's humble about it and kind and faithful. Now, the messages that we're going to start and the things that we're going to talk about are important because we're going to continue to answer our question, what do I believe? And so we're going to talk about some character and some aspects about God, some of them challenging, but we want to communicate some important things about God. Because we, we want to have a consistent belief about who he is. But what his nature's like? What his character is like? And so we are going to enter into some of those things because we also, we don't want to be confused by our own ideas or the culture's ideas. We want to get our truth from God's word. And we want to be people that can say, I know what I believe about God and the things that I believe are consistent with who God is and what the Bible communicates. So today, we're going to discuss one of the fundamental beliefs about God, and that is that God is omniscient, or all-knowing. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would open it to our heart and to our mind this morning as we look through several verses this morning. I pray that those things would just get locked in our brain, and the understanding that you know everything will ex be extremely helpful for our relationship with you and give us hope and peace and joy as we serve you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this idea and this understanding, this belief that God is omniscient or knows all, it matters. In fact, it matters immensely. It means that because God knows all things, there are some inherent qualities that God has that are very different than us, but that we can celebrate a lot as his followers. For instance, because God knows everything all the time, he is never purposeless. 
Like, isn't it interesting? We're always looking for purpose, aren't we? Every different stage of our life, we're looking for, God, what do you want me to do right now? What's my purpose in life? God never does that. He never thinks, I wonder what I should do today. He always has purpose because he knows everything. Because he knows everything, his plans are never in error. Because he can see everything in the past, everything that's happening in the present, and knows everything about the future, his plans are always perfect. He has a perfect understanding of the future. And so when you and I go to the Lord and ask for direction, we have to understand we're going to someone who has a perfect understanding of our future and the future that he has for us and for the world. What he says is always true and will come to pass because he knows everything. His absolute truth and knowledge assures us of perfect consistency in all things because he knows all things. And because he knows all things, the will of God for all of creation and for our personal lives is also perfect, even if it includes suffering or something we don't like, or something we're uncomfortable with. It's still part of God's perfect will, because he knows what's best for us. His nature and his decisions can always be trusted, because he knows all things. And he can perfectly care for your needs and mine, because he knows all things. See, because God knows all things, there are a lot of really cool things about God and our relationship with him. This morning, I'd like to talk about three aspects of God's omniscience. So I'm going to drill down a little bit into three different areas of God's omniscience. And I'm going to be honest, I'm I'm just going to touch the tip of the iceberg this morning. God's omniscience is so huge. This is a a very, very large theological subject. (laughs) And we've been working on it for about two year, 2,000 years. So um, theologians have been working on God's omniscience and trying to explain it for a long time. I'm just going to touch on it a little bit, and hopefully it'll water your appetite for a little bit more, and maybe you'll pick up a good book somewhere and read some more about how God is all-knowing. So the first thing that I want to talk about this morning, the first aspect, I would say, of God's omniscience is that nothing happens without God knowing about it, okay? Nothing happens in our entire world, in our entire universe, nowhere, anywhere for that matter. Nothing happens without God knowing about it. Now, as we read the Bible and you read stories about God and you read about what authors say about God, you will see that God's abilities and his character begin to reveal themselves on the page. And God begins to be described more and more. And you discover that nothing happens without God knowing about it. The book of Job is a good example of this. I'll paraphrase Job as quickly as I can. Job's had a really, really, really tough week. Anybody had a really, really tough week ever in your life? In your really, really tough week, did all of your family perish? No. (laughs) Did you lose every single material thing you had? Probably not. This is Job's life. This is his week. He's had a really, really tough week. The only thing he has left is his wife. And the Bible says that she's a nag. That's not me saying anything. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible said she was a nag. 
and was constantly nagging him to curse God and die. So the only thing that he has left is his nagging, non-encouraging wife. Now, Job, in this really tough week, begins to do what most of us do in a really tough week. We begin to question God, don't we? We begin to ask God questions. God, why me? God, why now? What's going on? And so we, we just naturally, it's in our humanity, we just start to question God. And so God does that. For most of the book of Job, Job's friends and Job himself are asking fairly good questions to God. As you get towards the end of the book, God begins to ask Job some questions back. And these questions, they're rhetorical, but they're meant to make a point about God's omniscience, that he knows all things. And there's tons of verses, but let me just give you several. In Job 38, verse 4, God said to Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. In verse 12, have you ever been given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Verse 22, which is fitting for today. Have you, ever, have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail? I think God went in the storehouse last night and dumped some out, said, hey, there's some excess here. Jeannie could use some. In Job 39, verse 1, God said to Job, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Verse 19, do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? 27, does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? Now, these are all rhetorical questions that God is saying, Job, these are all things I know. These are all things I'm watching on the planet. And here's what God is kind of trying to say to Job. In this conversation that God's not mad at Job about, but just says, hey, Job, here's what I want you to know. If I see all those things, if I see every mountain goat when they give birth, and I see when the sun's rising, and I see when it snows and when, it, when the sun is shining, if I see all that, don't you think that I see your tough week? I do. I see the difficulty that you're in right now, and I'm watching over you, and I will take care of you. And so God begins to tell Job this. And then we have, as you read throughout Scripture, you'll see what the psalmists say as well about the omniscience of God. In Psalm 50, verse 11, they say, I know every bird in the mountains, referring to God. He knows every bird in the mountains, and the insects in the field are mine. Did you know that there are roughly 50 billion birds on the planet? <laughs> you got to know a lot of stuff to know about what 10 billion birds are doing. There are 10,824 different species of birds. That's a lot of birds. And it's just birds. All those things God sees and knows. Now you may have also noticed some of the verses that we've been reading throughout the Gospels. In Matthew, we had several this week that talked about the omnipotent nature of God. One of them was in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus has been healing people and casting out demons. And one of the things that the Pharisees are beginning to say and to think is that maybe the way that Jesus casts out demons is because he's the devil himself or he is a demon and that's how he casts out demons. And they hadn't really verbalized that out loud, but as Jesus was casting out some demons in the moment, the Pharisees were thinking this in their, in their mind 
And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus said this, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Jesus knew their thoughts. I don't know if that comforts you or not to know that Jesus knows every one of your thoughts, but he does. He knows your thoughts. Let's go a little bit deeper. In Romans chapter 2, verse 16, Paul said, and this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Oh boy, God knows all of my thoughts, and he knows my secret life? <laughs> That's challenging. I, I better work on that then, huh? Because <laughs> isn't it true that all of us think that there's a, a spot in our mind or a spot in our heart or something that we do that we can hide from everyone else? And because we can hide it from everyone else, we somehow think that we're hiding it from God? But God says, I see that. I know you. I know you intimately. See, over and over again, the scriptures tell us that nothing happens without God knowing it. And because he is omniscient, he knows everything. Now, when we say nothing happens without God knowing about it, we, we need to bring a little bit of understanding to that statement. Because that, that statement right off the bat uh, tends to allow our mind to maybe wander into some things about God that maybe aren't true or wander into some things and maybe get some false theology in our head that is not true as well. So let me, let me point out two things in regards to God knowing everything that I believe are important to our understanding of God's omniscience. The first one is this, that God knows everything, but that doesn't mean he wants to control everything. Yeah, he knows everything, but that doesn't mean God is trying to control everything. Now, why is this important? Well, because when we make statements like, you know, God knows everything, one of the big questions could be, okay, well, if God knows everything, why doesn't he fix everything? It's a good question, right? Because some of us probably thought that too. Lord, why don't you fix some things in my life? And while you're at it, why don't you fix some things in the world? There's kind of some crappy things going on. Well, what we have to remember is just because God knows everything doesn't mean he's trying to control everything. The Bible does not always communicate that God is necessarily trying to manipulate and control everything. See, we often think when it comes to evil and suffering and those things, we want God to control them. And especially when there's something uncomfortable in our life, we really want God to change things so that we are comfortable. But the, God, but the Bible doesn't always communicate this. The book of Job is a great example. Job was very uncomfortable, but God didn't make everything awesome for him in an instant. Now, we can see this take place a little bit as we look at creation. In creation, we know the story. God creates everything. Creates the planet, creates the stars, the sun, the moon, everything. He creates all of the land, all the sea, all the animals, all the foliage, everything. And then he creates man. But he creates man in his image. So he creates man different. All the animals and the plants, they're all going to work off of God's system and structure and order. But man, we get to choose. We have free will. We're like 
God in that sense that we have the ability to know right from wrong, and that ability gives us the ability to choose. And so God creates us very different. We have that ability, and God did that on purpose because you don't really know that somebody loves you until they're choosing to love you. And God wanted us to have that choice to choose to love him. Now, science is also revealing to us that everything on life, and we know this from experience as well, everything on the planet has the ability to live, to reproduce, and to continue living in its own specific system and its own specific order. It doesn't necessarily need God to nudge it along all the time or us to nudge it along all the time. It's built into the animals. It's built into the structure. It's built into the systems and to each species and everything. So God doesn't necessarily have to tell the elk when to, when to reproduce. He doesn't have to tell um, mosquitoes when they should hatch. He doesn't need to tell the mosquito to bite you and me. They just naturally do it, looking for blood. See, these things we discover. Plants have their own way of living and reproducing. So do animals, insects, reptiles, birds, biological organisms in your blood. All of it is running in a perfect order that God has created from the very beginning. That system and that structure allows everything to continue. And God did all of this at creation. The system of life for each living thing means that God does not have to control everything. It works all on its own in its perfect way that God has designed it to do. There's only one problem. Sometimes, occasionally, something gets in the way. Us. We get in the way, don't we? We choose to mess his creation up. To mess the plants up. I got an idea. Why don't we cut the entire Amazon forest down? How's that going to work when we need things like oxygen later? <laughs> you know, it, we're the ones that get in the way. We're the ones that start messing the planet up. We're the ones that choose to do things outside of God's direction, and we don't take care of his planet very well. But God meant everything in his perfect knowledge and in his perfect wisdom to run on its own so that you and I, so he would not have to control everything. Second, God knows everything, but that doesn't mean he condones everything. See, God knows everything. God sees everything, but that doesn't mean he's happy with everything going on. See, God doesn't condone the rapist. God doesn't condone abuse. He doesn't want a drug dealer to make more money than a teacher. God doesn't want governments taking advantage of people instead of serving people. He doesn't want school shootings. But just because he sees everything doesn't mean he is in agreement with how it is going. See, God is always doing the very, very difficult work of balancing his omniscience and our free will. And that is an extremely big theological idea. But what it means is that you and I have free will and that God's way is perfect. And God is always balancing that in a very gracious, in a very kind, and a very delicate way 
so that you and I can love him. Let me liken this to you and I learning to drive a car. Now, most of us in this room have learned to drive a car. Some of you have not in this room learned to drive a car. Just know it's going to be awesome when you do. Now, remember when your parents were teaching you how to drive a car and they would sit right next to you in the passenger seat and you were so excited that they were there? And they would talk you through everything, how to steer, when to put your blinker on, how hard to press on the brake, how to work the clutch and the gas at Oh, wait, I'm talking to people that don't know how to do that, do you? My dad taught me how to drive a car in a clutch, okay? That's the only way. He said, you're going to learn how to drive a manual, and then everything in an automatic will be so easy, it'll be like, you know, sliced bread. But my dad took me to the steepest hill in town and said, learn to do it here. And after I stalled the car about 25 times, and finally figured it out, I realized, oh, my dad's really smart because now downhill and straight is super easy. We have another dad that does stuff for us like that on occasion. We learned how to merge into traffic, drive on the freeway. Now, all of this training was great, right? All of it was on purpose so that what? So that you could learn to drive on your own. That's the purpose. The purpose isn't so that parents can stay in the seat and the kids drive. The purpose is so that I can tell my kids, go to the store and get me some ice cream. That's the purpose. Go get the paper. Go pick up your younger brother. That's the reason that we want. Now, God doesn't do that, right? But here's the point. This is similar to what God did with humanity and earth. God created everything. And he knows everything. He sees everything. And he placed us here and gave us, mankind, the ability to live here, to take care of the planet. His intention was not to hover over us so that he could control it or manipulate everything we do. He created us in his image and with choice and free will so that we could drive our own life but also so that we would choose to be in relationship with him. We would choose to love. We would choose to be kind. We would choose to do what's right. Now, just like our parents teach us to drive the right way, to obey the laws, to use a car in all the proper ways, we still choose to what? Text while we're driving. <laughs> Speed when we want to drive aggressively, drink and drive, put makeup on while we're driving, put your foot on the dash and paint your toenails while you're driving 85 miles an hour in the fast lane. Yes, I saw that when I was in LA. Our parents, they don't come and sit in the passenger seat again and explain everything all over. No, they know that we know what is right and that we simply have to choose to do what's right. God does the same. He doesn't force us. He doesn't hover over us. He doesn't manipulate us. He doesn't control us. But we know what's right. We know that he knows what's better for us and that we should choose relationship with him. And that the right way to live while we are here is in relationship with here, 
with him. There's always a God-shaped hole inside everyone's heart that is begging to be in relationship with their heavenly father. So God knows everything. He sees everything. He's not controlling everything. He's not happy about everything. In fact, much of it breaks his heart. It breaks his heart that mankind chooses to hate instead of love. It breaks his heart that we go to war instead of getting along or be abusive instead of learning to communicate or not distribute food to the starving until we've received the proper amount of money in our bank account or to choose the pleasures and distractions of this world over a relationship with him. None of those things please the Lord, but he sees them and he knows them. And at some point at the end of our life, we will be held accountable for everything that we're doing with his stuff because he sees and he knows everything about our life, even our thoughts and our secret life. See, God is always doing the very difficult work of balancing his omniscience and our free will. The second aspect of God's omniscience is his plans and purposes are perfect. Because God knows everything, past, present, and future, he can also make perfect plans and perfect purposes that always come to pass. In Proverbs, there are several verses that, that talk about this and help us out with this idea. In Proverbs 16.4, it says, The Lord works out everything to its proper end even the wicked for a day of disaster. Now, I love that verse because there's something important there. It says, the Lord works out everything to its proper end. Now, notice it doesn't say, the Lord works out everything right now. Did you catch that? There's a difference between God working out everything right now to get me out of a jam or to make me comfortable or God walking me through the process and being with me and taking care of me and carrying me at times through my very difficult season of life till I get to the end and I see that he was with me and he was there with me and he loved me through the process. It's a big difference. Proverbs 16, 9 says, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. In Proverbs 21, 30, it says, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. In other words, when God wants something to happen, when he wants one of his plans or purposes to happen, there's nothing we can do to stop it. God's plans will succeed. Now, one of uh, the churches and one of people's favorite verses in the Bible about God's plan is, of course, Jeremiah 29, 11. And I'd like us to look at this verse because it, it gives us some great insight into God's perfect plans and purposes as well because it's just such an encouraging verse. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you. Could you repeat that with me? Ready? Here we go. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Man, isn't that good news? There is hope in that verse that God knows you, that he, he has great plans for you, that he knows the plans that he has for you. It's inspiring. It's hopeful. It's a great reminder that God knows what he is doing all the time. Would you agree with that, that God knows exactly what he's doing all the time, that he knows what's best for you because of Jeremiah 29, 11, right? God knows that. That's good. But you better read verse 10. <laughs> 
you better read verse 10. Because verse 10 says this. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. Wait a second, what? I thought they were good plans. Plans, plans that are good for me, not for disaster. What? Hold, hold on a second, hold on a second. What? What do you mean, Babylon for 70 years? I like my home here. Oh, I like it here. Everything's great here. Mom and dad are here. Grandma and grandpa are here. What are you talking about, Babylon for 70 years? But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. So my question is this. Do you believe that God's discipline is this perfect plan for you? That's what Jeremiah 29, 11 says. But we don't read verse 10 often. So we just look at verse 11 and it looks great on a, on a poster in the Christian bookstore. But God's plan was for them to go into captivity for 70 years. Why was that? Well, because, well, how many of you discipline your kids? Right? You discipline your kids when, when they don't do the right thing, right? This is God disciplining adults. Because for 500 years, they'd been doing the wrong thing over and over and over again, worshiping false idols, treating one another like trash. And finally, God said, I can't do this anymore. I love you. You are my people, but you're going to be grounded. I'm grounding you. You're grounded in Babylon for 70 years. And you know what? You will not get your cell phone either. Yeah. So can you imagine 70 years in another country, no cell phone, no grandpa. This was part of God's perfect purpose and plan. See, God's plan is always perfect. But when you look at it in a context like, yes, you're like, okay, well, maybe, maybe uh, I, don't, I don't know if I like all of God's perfect plans. Well, either you do or you don't. Because there are days where God's perfect plan is just totally awesome and it's great. And there are days that, frankly, if you're like me, you need an adult spanking. Because sometimes I'm just not very good at being a dad or a husband or a grandpa or a neighbor or something. And I need the Lord to say, you know what? Come on, Mark. What are you doing? That's not my plan for your life. Those aren't the words I want you to use. That's not the action that shows that I'm your best friend. And so God disciplines us. It's part of his perfect plan. See, understanding how the perfect plan of God works is challenging. And in light of the imperfect world, and in light of everybody else's free will to make a choice to do something against us as well, this becomes extremely challenging. Let me give you an example. I'll use an illustration. I want you to imagine in your mind just for a minute that you are in a football stadium watching a football game, and I don't care whether it's American football or football. You can pick. It's up to you. But giant crowd, okay? There's 80,000 people. There's players on the field. There's coaches coaching, and everything's happening. So you've got this huge, you've got this huge thing in front of you, right? And there's millions of decisions being made in this three- to four-hour span, in this one arena. Oop. Millions. Millions of decisions. Thousands of decisions that coaches have made that they want their players to follow through on. But the players get a choice, either to listen to the coach or not. 
And sometimes they listen and the play works great. And sometimes they don't listen and it fails. There are tens of thousands of spectators. And one spectator wants to sit in his chair and have a great time and have some nachos with his son. And another guy sitting behind you wants to get drunk and spill his beer on your head. One guy wants to take his clothes off and run on the field. One person wants to throw his beer at the referee. Some people want to yell at the referees. I wouldn't know anyone that would ever win. <coughs> when I go to basketball games with people, especially in our church, I always tell them, just for a while, I just want you to know I'm not your pastor for two hours. You're going to see me do some things. So there's millions of decisions being made by thousands of spectators, by players, by coaches, and all of this is happening with mankind's free will. Choice. You and I to do whatever we feel like in the moment. Now, could God come along and manipulate and control that entire situation? Absolutely. Totally could. He could look down there and he could say, you know what? The Niners are my team. They're playing the Seahawks. I'm controlling this sucker. And some of you would say, I know, that's the only way that the Niners are going to beat the Seahawks is if God controls it. So that's got to work that way. But here's my point, right? God could come in and control it. He could make this team beat that team. He could make sure that I can't throw my beer. He could make sure I can't yell at the referee. He could stop a whole bunch of stuff that's happening. But if he started doing that, that would mean no more choice, no more free will. You're not doing what you want. You're not even living in, in the image of God now because he's manipulating and controlling every single thing. You no longer have choice. You don't get to choose what you want to love, who you want to love, how you want to love. You go, don't get to choose to do right or you don't get to choose to do wrong. That's not happening anymore. So if we want God to do that, if we say something like, if you know everything, then I want you to control everything because I want you to make everything right, then you would also have to say, okay, I'm going to give up my choice to do what I want. And it's at that point where most people say, well, wait, I don't want that. I just want God to, to do that over here, but not in my life. <laughs> wait a second. That's not how it works. Either you get free will or you don't. And either you understand that God's perfect purposes and plans are always true or they're not. And that means that at any point, by the way, any point God wants to do something in that arena, he can. It's his arena. Now let's just expand that a little bit. It's his planet. It's his planet. Humanity is his. The animals are his. The mountains are his. The seas are his. The sun is his. The moon is his. The Milky Way is his. But he's balancing all the time his omniscience and our free will. Now, throughout Scripture, you're going to see moments where God will come and, change and work with our free will and also work out his perfect purpose. And let me explain that in three different ways, three important concepts that I believe about God's plans and purposes being perfect. The first one is this, that God's perfect plans are happening at the same time 
as man's evil plans. This is challenging, but it's true. God's perfect plans often happen at the exact same time that man is doing evil things. Let me give you a great example. The cross. The cross of Jesus is a great example of God's perfect plan rescuing all of humanity at the exact same time that evil men who hate Jesus are happy that he's dying. Now, Paul spells this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Let me read it for you. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scripture says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. I love that last verse. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Now, that doesn't mean that God's doing foolish things, and it doesn't mean he's weak. It's just an extreme statement that if God did foolish things, they would be better than our greatest things. And if God did weak things, they would be greater than our strongest things. See, the cross is the plan and wisdom of God saving mankind from their sins. And at the same time, it is evil men crucifying him because of the hatred in their hearts. At the exact same time, we live in a fallen world where evil and sin are thriving. And not only thriving, they're encouraged. But God created us with free will. Free will to do what we want. And God will not violate that except in situations that he, he needs to do that on occasion or in situations where he needs to teach us something or we need to understand something about his word because we're not or in those moments where God's perfect plan for mankind needs to be interrupted so that the, the goodness and the plans of God for our planet are seen to fruition instead of our own. This is why it's so important for us, for those of us that call ourselves Christians and call ourselves the followers of Christ that believe in Jesus. This is why it's so important for us to live in the purposes and plans of God. Because you and I are communicating what the purposes and plans of God are to the world around us. 
as we live in them, we are showing the world, this is who Jesus is. This is who God is. This is what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. As we live out the purposes and plans of God, people see them. The second thing I think we need to understand is that God does not plan evil for mankind. God's not planning evil for mankind. God's not unleashing evil on mankind to punish us. Now, how do we know that? Well, the last time God unleashed one of his plans to punish mankind, what happened? The whole world was flooded. So God's not doing that. His power is so immense that it it would destroy all of us. God's not planning ways of doing evil to people. We seem to fall into that very easily on my own. I don't know about you, but I don't need God to nudge me into the wrong direction. (laughs) I do that really well on my own. It's just like my natural humanity just finds it on its own, right? God doesn't need me to nudge me that direction. But here's what's, what's interesting. God can use evil for his benefit. God can use my bad decisions for his benefit. God can use my mess as a ministry and a message. Well, how can God do that? Well, Romans 8, 28 says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, God has the ability to make lemonade out of lemons. Does it all the time. Does it with your life and mine. God can make things good out of the bad things that we do. But that doesn't mean God is planning the evil for you and me or for mankind. Third, God's judgment and discipline is part of his perfect plan to redeem and teach mankind the lessons that we are ignoring. So it's true. When you look at history and you're going to let history teach you something, you'll notice something right away in the Old Testament. We often ignore God. And when God chooses to step into a moment in our life and judge or bring discipline in that moment, it's always to help you and I learn something that we've been ignoring about God. So often teach us a lesson. It's to show us something or to help us understand something in God's word that we have not been living or maybe not even seeing. And so when we see times in the Bible when it maybe just looks like to us God is just being mean, that's not really what's happening. You got to look at the whole scope of the whole story. So we'll look at a story where, let's say a, a story where God like destroys a city and you're like, well, gosh, that just looks mean. Well, you have to go back and look at the story. For one thing, God said to Abraham, if there's even five righteous people in that city, I I won't destroy it. They couldn't even find five righteous people in it. So, okay, well, then we we, we know what we're looking at here, right? This is a pretty bad place, right? I grew up in Las Vegas. There was at least five righteous people in Las Vegas. So this is a pretty bad place, right? Well, Well, that looks pretty challenging. Yeah, but have, have we looked at the grace that God has given that city for hundreds of years? Have we looked at the prophets that came and warned them that uh, they need to get their life right? Have we looked at the moments where God did things over and over and over and over again to try to get their attention to get back? And finally, God just says, I've had enough. I, I need to discipline this 
before it turns into something worse and spreads to every town and every area on the entire planet. And so God steps in. Now here's what's interesting. One of the questions I often get is, uh, you know, Pastor Mark, why, why doesn't God step in and fix, fix the things that are evil in our planet? Well, I thought you didn't like that story where God stepped in and did something about the evil in that city. Well, uh, uh, wait a second. I thought you wanted him to step in and do things when they're evil. Well, I do, but, I, but you want him to do it your way, not his way. Right. So either God's plans are perfect, his pur- purposes are perfect, or they're not. But they are. And since they are, we have to accept that. It's not God being mean. It's not God trying to just be mad at people. It's God trying to redirect mankind. It's God trying to specifically speak to his people about what is right and what they are doing towards one another. Now lastly, let me remind us in this point of all of of one of the things about God's perfect plans and purposes that we will rejoice in one day, and that is that Jesus is coming back. That's part of his purpose. It's part of his plan. And let me show you something in Ephesians chapter 1 that is great about this purpose and this plan. In verse 9, it says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. I love that. At at one point, you and I are waiting for that. We're waiting for this moment where Jesus will restore all things. Until then, we live in this balance of our free will and God's omniscience. Now, I'll finish our thought for for today with this third aspect of God's omniscience that is really important. And that is that he can love you completely. Because God knows everything, and because he knows you, that means he can love you completely and totally, because he knows everything about you. For instance, let me ask you a question. How many hairs are on your head? (laughs) Did not think of it like that. Yes, that's true for you. (laughs) Math wizard back there. Do you know how many are on your head? Have you counted? Don't know? God does. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Matthew chapter 10, verse 30. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Every one. When one falls out, he can do subtraction. When one more grows, he can do addition. If 10 grow at the same time, he knows multiplication. He knows everything about you. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 139, verse 1 to 6. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. I would add to that, then Lord, please help me not say it. 
Verse 5, and you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. The psalmist is saying, God knows, he knows me intimately. God knows you intimately. He knew you were before you were born. As you continue this chapter in verse 13, it said, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God knew us even before we were born. It goes without saying that the more you know a person, the better you can love a person. That's true. And no one knows you better than God. Nobody. Therefore, no one can love you better than God. So my question is this. When you need some love, where do you go? Where do you go? Do you go to God? Do you let your heavenly Father tell you how much you're loved? I hope so. Do you find yourself in prayer? Do you find yourself in his presence receiving exactly what you need in that moment because God wants to pour out his love and his grace and his kindness and his joy and his hope into your life? No one knows you better than God. Therefore, he knows how to love you best. He can even love you better than you love yourself. How many of you have learned, I'm 50 today. I'm 50, and here's something I've learned from experience. I even love myself bad. You notice that? Sometimes we don't even love ourselves very well. We take ourselves into unhealthy places, thinking it's the right thing to do, but we don't even know. Trying to do it on our own instead of just going into God's presence and saying, God, here I am. Papa, Daddy, love me. And just being in God's presence and letting the Holy Spirit speak to you. See, he even knows how to love you better than you know how to love yourself. God is omniscient. He knows everything. God's omniscience is something for us to celebrate as his people. And we can rest. We can be secure. We can be confident. We can have hope and faith. We can walk out this life that we live today because we serve an omnipotent God, a God that knows all things. If I'm a person that worries about the future, I don't have to worry anymore. Why? Because my heavenly father's going to take care of it. My dad's going to take care of tomorrow. So you know what? I'm going to stop worrying about tomorrow because dad's got it. I, I need some clothes. I need some new clothes. We'll talk to your dad about it. He'll get you some new clothes. I need some food. Talk to your, talk to your papa and dad about that. I'll get you some food. That's what Matthew 5 and 6 says. That we need to stop worrying because God knows everything about us. He knows when we need food. He knows when we need clothes. He knows everything about us. And he will take care of us. When we put his kingdom first, he'll take care of the rest. So let's, let's be people that put God first and just let him take care of us. Not worry about anything and just live completely secure lives knowing that God knows everything and he's got it. 
He'll take care of it. Would you stand with me? I'd like us to pray for just a minute. So would you bow your head with me and let's just talk to the Lord. Jesus, we thank you for this understanding from your word this morning that you know all things. Thank you that we saw that you know everything about our life. You knit us together in our mother's womb. You you created us before the foundations of the earth. You know everything about our, our secret life. You know all of our thoughts. You know words before they come out of our mouth. You know actions before we do them. Lord, you know each and every one of us intimately. Lord, you also know what we need tomorrow. You know what tomorrow brings. And next week, and next month, and next year. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us, as the people of God, to live securely in today. Not worry about tomorrow, because you've got it. Because the best thing that we can know about our lives is that you're right there with us today. And because you're here, because you're living inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're okay. Don't need to be concerned about all the things or fret or be anxious. Just put my hope and my faith in you. Knowing that when we do, you return that with peace that surpasses our understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, would you be, help us to be people that understand this powerful, theological, and truthful idea that you know all things. Help it to change our lives. Help it to change the way that we experience difficulty and frustration and suffering and challenging parts of life, knowing that you're right there. You see it. You know it. And you're walking through it with us. Help it to be something that helps us have great joy in moments of your goodness when our Heavenly Father gives us good gifts that He loves to do. When you provide and when you restore and when you heal, may we celebrate those moments with great joy because you're doing them in our midst. Lord, would you help us to live as good people, great people of God, living in the power of the Spirit, not in our flesh, because you know all things. We give you thanks and praise. And we ask you to be with us and to watch over us and to take care of us as we go. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Well, hey, don't forget to sign up for the spring event when you head out into the commons. And always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.